I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is WTRY San Diego Channel 3's coverage of the 2011 Beard and Mustache International. I'm Tom Shambly. In earlier action today, in Beards, Italian Victo Zanzalari edged the UK's Barnaby Swallows in Amish New Style. Kansas native Fast Eddie Muldoon in a squeaker over Lithuanian Marco Ramius in Advanced Wizard and four-time champ Finland's Tor Peterson crushed American Gandhi Watson in imperial knee length. Agnes Reeves caught up with Tor after his decisive victory. Tor, you've been here for 20 years and you've won the last four. What are you feeling right now? Agnes, I'm just happy to be competing against some really great beards. We're seeing a lot of technology this year. Any comment on what this might do to the sport? Oh, these guys coming up. Put stuff like flashing LED displays in their beards, but in my day, you put maybe one small taxidermy hummingbird in there, and that was always enough. Tor, you have grown your beard out to 13 inches, tied it into a series of concentric circles, and finished with an inlay of Da Vinci's Last Supper made from human hair. It's remarkable. Yes, this was custom made in a small convent in South America. The nuns there grow fantastic hair. Do you have any comment on the rumors of genetic enhancement that seem to be dominating these games? Listen to me. There is no way in hell that an 11-year-old Filipino girl can have grown a 15-inch beard without the benefit of steroids. Yeah! I'm talking to you, Tasha! You're a damn liar! Well, it certainly seems tempers are running hot down here on the floor. Let's send it back up to Tom in the studio. More controversy today when 35-year-old Karen Greeley misunderstood the rules and BMIC chairman Raleigh O'Doul was called to the floor. Uh, I, I don't understand why you don't believe me. Ron has always been very sexual with me. Miss Greeley, it's not that kind of beard competition. Oh. We've got to take a break. But when we come back, we'll take you over to a match we've been looking forward to all summer, featuring last year's champion in Fu Manchu and freestyle sideburns. It's... It's... before. Tonight, international slam poetry champion Anis Mojgani, Mad as Hell in America host Adam Klugman, and some breezy music from Blind Pilot. That's tonight on Livewire Radio. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Courtney Hameister, and you also have comedy from Faces for Radio Theater to look forward to. Poet Scott Poole with What I Learned Tonight, wherein Scott sits in our audience and in just one hour, the amount of time it took Dorothy Parker to drink herself under the table, he writes a poem that encompasses all the lessons he's learned during the show. And music from our house band, Ralph Huntley and the Mutton Chops. Thanks, Ralph. 
and Jim, and Dave Jorgensen, who you may know is also in the band Blind Pilot, so you'll be seeing him later. So I know I mentioned earlier we were going to have poet Anis Mojgani on the show. If you have not heard him before, you should know that he is going to lull you into poetic submission. It's going to happen. And we're also going to have Adam Klugman on the show. Adam hosts a radio show called Mad as Hell in America, which is rather timely at this point in our history. After the recent debt ceiling debacle, polls showed that 82% of Americans were mad as hell at Congress. And the anger is growing as we've seen the effects, downgraded credit rating, admonitions from China, uh, fear of a double-dip recession. Uh, in general, we enjoy double-dipping in the privacy of our own hummus, but <laughs> when an entire country does it, it's, it's messy and unhealthy. And it got me thinking, you know, I'm not really mad at Congress. I've seen this behavior before in my college friends. No, not the drinking and the sexting and the not studying ever, although that's part of it. Um, like my drunken college friends, Congress is engaging in self-destructive behavior. I think their mode of self-destruction is what psychologists call counterproductive strategies. It is when a person, or in this case, a legislative branch, doesn't want to harm themselves, or in this case their country, but they choose a strategy that backfires and produces the opposite of the desired result. So in a person, say, this can mean pursuing a romantic relationship that's ultimately unhealthy. In a legislature, this can mean infighting like rabid corgis until you cause a global financial crisis. Did they know that causing a giant kerfuffle that highlighted our inability to pay debts would result in China essentially standing at our border with a giant baseball bat saying, we're not saying we need the money right now, but let's just say that if you handed us the cash, we'd have to put the bat down to grab it. So really it's like just logical if you just give us the money. <laughs> so Congress is in trouble. But I think instead of getting angry with them, it's time to just talk to them like the petulant teenager with low self-esteem that they're acting like. How can we help you, Congress? Are you taking drugs? Are you harming yourself? Are you tanning almost to the point of self-immolation? I'm talking to you, John Boehner. You know, and it might just be an issue of education, right? There are times when self-destructing is appropriate and times when it's not. Appropriate time to self-destruct if you're a digital recorder and you have just delivered your message to Tom Cruise in a Mission Impossible movie. Totally appropriate. Inappropriate time to self-destruct when you're attempting to solve a financial crisis. Appropriate time to self-destruct, you're in space and your whole crew has been killed by a chest-bursting alien that sweats acid. And if you don't blow up the ship, the aforementioned chest-bursting alien will be transported to Earth and eventually cause a chest-pocalypse. <laughs> That's, again, totally appropriate to self-destruct. Inappropriate time to self-destruct, when a downgrade in the country's credit rating would make an Amway starter kit a better investment than U.S. <laughs> Treasury bonds. But maybe education isn't enough. You know, Congress, sometimes in order to stop behavior like this, you just have to reach rock bottom. And we can help you get there. If losing your job is what needs to happen for you to wake up and start treating yourself and your constituency with respect, we will be happy to make that happen. But just know when it does happen that we're acting out of love. Not for you, of course, but love for paying our bills, keeping our houses, and not being pummeled with a bat by China. Thanks. Our next guest first record three rounds and a sound emerged seemingly out of nowhere. to land on many rock critics' best of the year lists, including NPR Music. It may have been their ability to sound breezy while being musically complex and layered at the same time. Their follow-up record, We Are the Tide, is getting the same kind of attention. 
and they're about to embark on a whirlwind U.S. tour in support of it. So look for them in your town. Please welcome Blind Pilot to Livewire. Welcome to the show, guys. This, so this record is called We Are the Tide. Yeah. And you, when you visit us last time, there, you were a duo that had sort of brought in some great musicians to, to, to work with you on that record, on that first record. And it's just, when you listen to this record, it's clear that you've just gotten so used to using all these amazing people, and it does have this giant sort of rollicking sound. How, how does it feel now that you're a real live band? <laughs> well, no, as opposed to a duo who's working with some other amazing musicians who mm. aren't necessarily yeah. in the band. Sorry. No, giant, giant and rollicking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels like that. It's, no, it's great. I mean, um, it, uh, yeah, it was great having everybody got to give their own creative input on this album, and we got to try out so many more things in the studio than, than last time. So it was, it's a lot of fun being a six-person band. Well, and you, the, your first tour was sort of famously on bikes, and now I was, I got to see on the website, you've got this really great new rig. Can you talk about uh, what you're traveling on these days? Yeah, 
yeah, we, we uh, decided that we aren't really yet a band that can tour in a bus, but maybe if we bought an old school bus and re, you know, renovated it uh, ourselves, then we could travel that way. So that's what we did. Yeah, it's this really old, this is cool blue school bus. Um, so does it feel more like you're a band when you're trapped together like that? <laughs> we, we, As opposed to on bikes and free. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We we get along pretty amazingly well, uh, despite being always in the same space. Uh -huh. We have space. privacy curtains on our bunks. That's right. Nice, so. nice. I did see that you actually broke down in Kansas this summer. One of the places we broke down. <laughs> One of the places. Here's the thing. Um, if you were stranded long enough, um, which band member would you eat first and why? I, I mean, I can only speak for myself. I'd say Katie. She's, she's the what? sweetest. <laughs> oh, that's great. That still doesn't make up for eating me first. <laughs> right, right. I did also, I saw you guys tweeted that you were um, baking banana bread on the bus the other day, and I'm just wondering if you're concerned about how long you can persist with this rock and roll lifestyle before mm. it destroys you. Ryan's not supposed to let that stuff out. <laughs> he got tempted by the alliteration of baking banana bread on, on the bus. bus. <laughs> he did. He actually said this tweet brought to you by the letter B. <laughs> I also wanted to talk to Dave Jorgensen. Um, as we've said, Dave is doing double duty tonight. He is in Livewire's house band, generally. He is also in Blind Pilot. Um, be honest, which gig is more impressive to the ladies? <laughs> Public radio, what, what? Well, I'm afraid I don't have a good live wire answer for that. <laughs> also, do you want to talk at all about how you're abandoning us to go on tour uh, around the world? I feel, I feel pretty bad about it, you know, it's, I really love Livewire and getting to play with Jim and Ralph and it's so much fun. It's a pretty um, great band. So like my, my ideal world is that I can keep doing both and bits and pieces, but we'll see how it goes. Well, we're really excited for you guys and, um, and we of course will welcome you back with open arms when you're free again. Um, come back all fat from the banana bread. I'll be back. <laughs> Been on VH1's Behind the Music. We all got fat. It was terrible. <laughs> it's great to have you guys on, and thank God you're coming back to play one more song for us later on in the show. Thanks so much for having us. <laughs> thank you so much. Blind Pilot, everybody. That was Blind Pilot on Livewire Radio. Music tonight brought to you by Dave's Killer Bread and the bread of the week, Sindog. It's an organic cinnamon roll that contains 100% whole grains, so you might not feel so bad about having that eighth piece. Dave's Killer Bread, making the world a better place, one loaf of bread at a time. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Livewire. Mom, Dad, can you guys come in here? There's something I want to talk to you about. Sure, Tiger. 
Don't call me Tiger. Okay, buddy. Dad, it's Ethan. Whatever, Skipper. Okay. I'm, I'm Mom. coming, I'm coming. I'm baking a cobbler in honor of our sweet little boy going back to college tomorrow. Oh, you. Mom. Gross. Mom, sit down. Jesus. I can't help it. You're kissable. Isn't he kissable? If your mother says you're kissable, you're kissable. Listen, guys. <clears throat> I don't want to go back to Cornell without telling you something. Oh, are you switching majors? No. Because nursing is a noble profession, son. You shouldn't let anyone talk you out of it. No, of course I still want to be a nurse. Why would I? No. It's just that I think living your life honestly is really important. And Did you get some girl pregnant? Did you? Oh, boy. Mm. Ethan uh? Noel Stanton, you did not. No, listen to me. Okay. It's just that I believe life's not worth living if you can't be yourself. Your true self. That's true. Well said, sweetie. If the people who love you don't know the truth about who you are, then they're just loving a lie. Ethan, what are you trying to say? We'd love you no matter what, Ethan. I know that. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you guys is... You're gay. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry? Come again? You're gay. You're both just super, super gay. Oh. Well, don't be ridiculous, Ethan. Look, champ, are you on the marijuana? Because you're talking crazy. Am I? What in the world would make you think that we're gay? Well, Dad, you have sex with men. And that makes me gay? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much the definition. Really? Do you own a dictionary? Hold on. I'm gonna go Google it. Well, okay, okay, so you've got him, but if having sex with men means you're gay, then I'm totally not gay. That's what it means for dad. Mom, how long have you and Jennifer been together? Oh, I don't know. I guess 12 years, 12 glorious years. Gay. Really? So gay. Damn it. Jennifer. Yeah, hon. Are we gay? Oh, yeah, super gay. Oh. Huh. I'm gay. Ask Jeeves says I'm gay, you guys. And, side note, did you know the platypus lays eggs? Better tell Trevor about the whole gay... I'm calling Trevor. He's gonna be he so... He won't be shocked. He won't be. Oh, no. What? Is it gay marriage illegal? Well, it's not legal, but I wouldn't say it's, like, illegal. Oh, we're breaking the law. Julian... We have to turn ourselves in. You don't have to. You guys. You're right, honey. I'll start the car. Trevor, you're not going to believe this. I'll get my purse. Oh, thank you so much, sweetie. You were so brave to tell us this. We'll write you from prison. You're not going to. Let's go, to honey. You want to get a frappuccino on the way? Oh, is that a gay thing? Probably. Okay, then sure. Where'd your mom go? To jail. Oh, because of that guy we shot in Montana? What? Nothing, cobbler? That was Cause Leisure, Darius Pierce and Trisha Ferguson with sound effects by David Ian. Coming up, Anis Mojgani is a two-time National Poetry Slam champion. He is also a world champion, with his first victory made legendary by a technical problem when the theater went black and he just kept going. Anis counts among his influences Kerouac, Frank Miller, Walt Whitman, New Orleans, and being broke. Please welcome Anis Mojgani to Livewire. When a flower breaks, this is what happens. A heart learns to count. Magic becomes science. A cloak of invisibility becomes discovery. Our skins are discovered. Science returns to magic. The process of man produces the steam engine, and the engine pushes the steamship through the Washington Sound. Time bends like a ribbon that never touches itself. The process of man bends like palms that clap to count. There is something in the music that forgets us. When it is heard, we are remembered. 
A bow and arrow both remember the same tree they are bent out of. How in a different body they once sucked up water and light greedily. It is a similar process that breaks hearts down into the most tender of molecules and puts them back together. That strings stick to string and string around stone. A similar process that plucks the feather from the goose. Carbon dioxide is a byproduct of this process. The geese fly from pole to pole. Some birds mate for life. When one is too tired to fly, the other will circle over the spot it last saw its lover. They are both left by the flock. The Himalayas are built from feathers. They are so white, crammed so full with prayers. We are shovels, digging and filling. We find sanctuary in moving earth and putting it back together. Oxygen is a byproduct of this process. When you stand on a rooftop in the dark, and the sky and the stars sit like a collection of telescopes, and their bodies can be described as being loud and silent in the same moment, and the stillness stretches around you, comes up to your knees, comes up to your waist, covers your body, your entire tiny existence, and you do not know what part of you is and what part of you is not of the universe, the shovels stop movement. Time touches itself. When you stand on a rooftop like your body was a collection waiting to begin, all the stars want to be the first ones to mingle with your atoms. Our atoms travel our whole lives. My wife believes in the microscope, and I the telescope. Should a mountain of gold grow from the ocean, tumbling one of us into its valleys, the other will make a statue of themselves till the clouds pull us back into one another. I believe arrows and science come from the same place. Goose feathers flapping. I believe in the thunderstorm of flocks. I believe in the snow of birds. I believe the angels do not believe in holding but still believe in touching. Other than that, I do not know what to believe in. The smell of magnolias, my mother's skin, the sound of the stars' clothes, Nina Simone, the piano pounded alone, faith. That faith is something closer to science than we believe it to be. The only difference between the telescope and the microscope is their usage. One that makes that which is big small and the other makes that which is small larger. We fill the spaces between both with ourselves. The gardens grow toward the solar system. The sun pours itself in many directions. When a flower breaks, the shovel keeps time. The huckleberry sighs like it were a bed. The fruit moves to this music, asks the night to dance with it. The trumpet player licks his lip and begins to blow. Thank you. It's, it's always a real treat to get to, to come to Livewire. Uh, this summer I got married this is a poem I wrote about how my wife makes me feel. You don't know how she makes me feel. <laughs> like a nuclear reactor power plant that harnesses not any strange harmful energy but rather the energy of the sun, of daisies, of golden marbles filled up to the brim. Behind me, there is a rainbow. The nuclear reactor that I am harnesses the power of the rainbow as well, capturing the whole spectrum of color and light. This is how she makes me feel. Like a great gray stone tall tower rising up out of the ocean. From my window at the top of that tower, I watch the world. From up here, the ocean looks like it is the biggest thing in the universe. It is the universe. From my room, sitting atop the top of the universe, watching its waves of water move in unison together, I feel like maybe I am bigger. This is how she makes me feel. Like I was 17, running slow motion through a field lit with light, particles of dust moving through the air. The sun burns through their bodies. Perhaps it is dust. Perhaps it is magic dust. Perhaps this magical dust is what I am made from. I open my eyes and everything I see floats. I am on a boat. It is night. The world has calmed itself. Simply to hold me inside all that is darkness. Simply to rock me gently. This is how she makes me feel. The subway chambers of Moscow. I am vaulted. 
I have giant chandeliers hanging from my underground ceilings. I glow with so much light. I am a ballroom for the trains of Russia. If you happen to be a child that has climbed down my steps to yell into my body, those echoes will bounce their way across those vaulted ceilings. This happens all the time. My tunnels are filled with these sounds. This is how she makes me feel. Like I will live forever. Like there is nothing that could possibly harm me. Like this body will somehow remain young and perfect. There are cities growing inside my chest. The cities all look like New York in the 50s. Every building tall enough to touch a cloud. Every automobile a convertible. The men all wear hats and neckties. The women have beautiful shapes of color upon them. Someone has saved a baby. There is a parade. Someone has saved all the babies. There is the biggest parade moving through my streets. The skies explode with ticker tape. Strangers kiss on every corner. Their kisses are what makes me live forever. This is how she makes me feel. Like honey and trombones. Like honey and trombones. Thank you. Anis Mojgani. to Livewire, the radio variety show that your mother warned you about. Well, not so much warned as recommended. Coming up on Livewire, radio host Adam Klugman and poet Scott Poole with What I Learned Tonight. And now, in honor of the recent Burning Man Festival in Nevada's Black Rock Desert, Livewire presents Chance Encounters from Burning Man. Me, furry pants handlebar mustache and indistinguishable gender on the tall bike. You accidentally lit your head on fire after doing a hit of salvia? I'd love to see the face behind the flames. Call me. Code 4752. You, a naked unicorn wearing only a saddle, which I know doesn't narrow it down a lot. You had red hair and your passenger was riding western. Me, building a giant robot spider that shoots butterscotch pudding out of its belly. I chatted with your passenger as you grazed on pudding, but you seemed more interesting. Your calf muscles look strong. Contact me at the Seven Deadly Kittens camp. I'm staying in gluttony. To the person who thought it was cool that I made a sculpture of my mom out of PVC pipe and leather, um, I didn't. That was my mom. Please return her immediately to the nipple tent, and I won't press charges. Clarfort, Gagorin, Niederlong, Chunk, and Teeter, Ender, Create Your Own Language Tent. Fifo Manwasa, Terry Gard, Tinklespar, Powadden, Accidentally Traded Underwear. Yarma Tornfelt, Code 6675. This has been Chance Encounters from Burning Man. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street. There's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do, and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to write. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. My life has value. 
That's actor Peter Finch in a clip from the 1976 film Network. It's surprisingly relevant today. Yeah. Adam Klugman is hoping to start a real conversation about politics, not about sides or parties, but a conversation fueled by rational anger and not rage. What's his show called again? Well, maybe this next clip will give you a hint. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! From the radio show Mad as Hell in America, please welcome Adam Klugman. Welcome to the show, Adam. Uh, I'm really glad to be here. Great energy in the room. I thought, since you started by saying you never know what's going to happen with Livewire, right? what if we just did it? It feels really good to just to say, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm, I'm not going to take, take it, it anymore. anymore. So would the audience like to try it? Do you want to try it? So, so, so let's all stand up and do it. Uh, I'll do it with you. So I have a loud voice, so it'll carry. So let's try it on three. Um, we all know the language, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore, okay? On three, ready? One, two, three. Usually when I do that, I make audiences do it twice. Uh, but in this case, uh, you guys are awesome. Not necessary. Our audience might have some anger issues. <laughs> well, I, I think that, that that really speaks to the point of, of really the, the point of departure for the conversation. Because uh, there's a, when we say anger issues, as if something is inherently wrong with anger. And so what I like to do is make a distinction between anger and rage. And I, I think it's really an important distinction. Because when you think about rage, it always has one object. And that object is to destroy, right? It's to destroy the object of its anger. And, and so without getting too political right off the bat, but I have to. Um, <laughs> it, it's my nature. Uh, let, let's take the Tea Party. And there are lots of things with the Tea Party that I might agree with. Uh, but I think that it, on the surface, it looks like a mad as hell party, right? But in fact, I think it's just a populist rage party. And the reason that I know it's a populist rage party is by its agenda. What is its agenda? Its agenda is to dismantle the government. It, it, it's not about whether we need less government or more government. We need government and we need better government. But, but what rage wants to do is destroy. So rage is always a, a, a tragic failure of imagination. And, and, and that leads to real violence. So, so there's nothing wrong with anger. People are always saying, well, you seem very angry. Well, I think anger is an appropriate response to the times that we live in. So you're absolutely right. Sometimes anger is rational, is a rational response. But wouldn't you say, though, that the, the Tea Party people are actually interested in running government as opposed to dismantling it? Well, uh, well, it seems to me, and, and without, I, I think that's a little off. Uh, I don't want to get into the Tea Party too much, but you know, they, they seem to want to get their hands on the government so they can dismantle it. And I think that there are lots of different agendas for why they want to do that. I think there's a corporate agenda. Uh, I think there's a populist rage agenda. I think it's convenient to make government the boogeyman. I happen to be someone who thinks government is good. Uh, I, I think we need better government. Um, yeah. And I don't think that, that rage helps us. But anger, legitimate human anger, is, is something um, that people try to talk us out of. So rage is always a, a, a tragic failure of imagination and, and that leads to real violence. So when we become angry, legitimately angry about something, it's usually, certainly in the context of mad as hell, uh, a response to some injustice right. that we perceive in the world. So, so that anger is prompting us to respond. 
And I think that's where we're getting into trouble. As individuals, we're not responding. We, we, let, uh, we get talked out of our anger. And I think we should claim it. And I think that's the essence of what Patty Chayefsky is trying to say. I, I'm not going to tell you to write your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about all the problems, but I know that you've got to get mad. And you've got to relocate the center of political power from out there to right here. And that's what my show is predicated on. It's good stuff. I think that, at least in my experience, what I've seen happening to a lot of people is that they are really angry, but they also feel completely powerless to do anything about it. Right. Um, they, f they feel what they, what they perceive is this gigantic machine that, they, that no one really has any control over. So how do, you, how, how do you use your anger against something that you feel like you don't have any control over? Um. I think that, that the language that we use, and I, that you just used, and I think we all do it, is our anger against something. Um, I don't think it's about anger against something. It's about formulating that creative response. That's what's going to heal the world. And when they're very you know, trite examples, but clear, people like Gandhi, people like Martin Luther King. Um, Gandhi was mad as hell. Right, right. <laughs> so how did Gandhi used, ma manage to... to, to actually move an entire country in, in a peaceful way and, and create change in this country. So how did he manage to, to sort of get people off their feet? Well, I think he, his story is actually really very interesting. Uh, you know, he started out, he was this kind of very mediocre lawyer in South Africa. There was nothing remarkable about him. Um, and as he began to travel, he discovered that he was a second-class citizen. And, um, that made him mad as hell. And he didn't decide to start burning things down. He didn't decide to act violently. That's, that's a very important point because we can disagree so long as we agree not to act in rage, we can act creatively. So he began to formulate a creative response to uh, his legitimate mad as hell feeling that he was a second class citizen. And in the course of that, uh, uh, by refusing to become violent, but by ref also refusing to surrender his mad as hell feeling, he discovered what? Satya. He discovered something tantamount to electricity, right? A uh, truth force, a love force that if you insist on it, will actually not only transform you from this kind of average lawyer into this, you know, iconic world leader, uh, but also his world. He, he threw the English out without firing a single bullet. So... And I feel like it was, it certainly wasn't easy for him to do, but there was also a common enemy there, I think. Every, it's, I, it feels like everyone at the time was angry at the same thing. Everyone was, and, and it seems like in this country, everyone is angry about something different. So how do you sort of pull all these people together? It's a really good point, Courtney. Um, I think that uh, if you think back to the civil rights um, actions uh, of the 60s, uh, there were lunch counters. And I could, I could go, if I was African-American in the South, I could go to a lunch counter and say, you serve me or arrest me. And, and there was a clear place to demonstrate. I think in America it's very disparate and our energies are very dissipated. So that's why I say we have to find that injustice that activates us and then respond and, and not give up on that response. So you feel like that change is possible with one person acting? Yes. So in what ways would you recommend for people to, first of all, connect to their anger, but then also act on that? Well, I would say, first of all, if there's some injustice you perceive in the world that really makes you mad as hell, uh, start listening to it. Um, and then ask it, uh, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Um, be patient with it. Don't uh, let people talk you out of it, and don't let it get neutralized by the political pundits on both sides that seem to neutralize our volition, you know? Um, trust it. Listen to it. I mean, the world has been transformed by people that have responded and said, that's not right. And that's the spirit of Mattis Hell. That's what I talk about on my show. Um, that, that's everything kind of falls within that context. So I, I, I want to have a radio show where we're talking about how we are going to respond. I, I don't want to just kind of carve off the raw meat of the day and throw the news out uncooked. Uh, I, I want us to find a way to digest it and respond to it. 
a lot of people talked a lot about Obama's speech, his job speech. Right. Um, they they said that this was the first time that he really showed emotions. Um, Daily Beast writer Howard Kurtz said Barack Obama looked forceful, almost angry in his much ballyhooed speech in Congress. Why do you think it took him this long to, to get sort of righteously angry? Um, because he's campaigning. And he... Right? Um, and that isn't that I don't think it was, wasn't a good speech. And I don't think that there was some real substance there. I do. Um, he's a phenomenal candidate. I love him as a candidate. Uh, as a president, I'm very frustrated with his leadership ability. But as a candidate, he's inspiring. And so what you saw him is he's campaigning for 2012. And he's great at that. Yeah. yeah. That's why we saw it. Um, it's, it's, I read, actually, that we do have an, a listening problem, that what's happening in our culture is that there's so much noise that we're having trouble listening, and, and we spend about 60% of our time listening, but we only keep about 25% of that information. We only retain that. It seems like that's part of the problem, too. We need to kind of teach people to listen better. We, we, took, we did a tour called the Mattis Hell Doctors Tour, which is when I kind of just broke this idea out. And we took a bunch of Oregon physicians who were angry that single payer wasn't even a part of the discussion that we were having on, in healthcare reform. Right? Yeah. It was absurd. And so they said, well, we want to do something about it. I said, well, what if we called you the Mattis Hell Doctors and took you around the country? And... And, and we did this, uh, and so what I did was, everywhere we went, we would encourage people to come up on stage and speak. Um, and they would have one minute to say why they were mad as hell. And it was an exercise in, it's one thing to be mad as hell in your living room, and it's another thing to be mad as hell in front of your community. But it's also an exercise in listening. The community has to listen. So we have to actively listen to the people that we really disagree with. That's part of our discipline uh, uh, of becoming better citizens, I think. So if people want to listen to your show, Yes. Uh, madashellinamerica.com is the website. We're available on iTunes. Uh, you can type in Mad as Hell in America in iTunes and find it. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I'm on KPOJ uh, every Saturday from 3 to 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, and what uh, some people may not know about you, uh, you are Jack Klugman's son, the yes. actor. Yes. You may, if, if the audience who's here, look at him. Look at this guy. Uh, <laughs> Radio audience, he looks, he looks like a, a very young version of his dad. Well, it was a pleasure having you here. Uh, everybody, it's Adam Klugman. The show is Mad as Hell in America. Thanks for joining us. Tonight's show is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market who would like to remind you that their hormone and antibiotic-free turkeys also meet the high lifestyle standards of the Global Animal Partnership, including no crates, cages, or crowding, which is better than most reality TV shows can say. More information can be found at WholeFoodsMarket.com. I think you know what time it is, people. It's time for... (laughs) Audience Haiku! Our audience has written haiku based on a single prompt, mad as hell. And we're changing it up a bit this show, since we have this brand spanking new master of sound effects. Members of Faces for Radio Theater have chosen their favorites and will now read them with the help of Ralph Huntley and sound effects master David Ian. Audience haiku is, as always, brought to you by the new Belgium Brewing Company. This month they're featuring Hoptober Golden Ale. Five hops and wheat malt mashed with rye and oats for a medium-bodied ale. Fact, hops make beer taste better. Fact, this beer has five different hops. We're not allowed to draw any conclusions from that because this is a public radio show, but you are welcome to. Thanks, New Belgium. Um, Ralph, can I get something kind of psycho-esque? And um, David, can I get the sounds you might hear um, in a home, in the kitchen, like a mom kind of thing. Why am I angry? Never thought I'd need a thing that's named Prozac. <sighs> Thanks, Rocco. <laughs> All right, Ralph, can I get something... Uh 
Scottish. And um, David, can I get something warlike? Just the sounds of, of maybe warfare or you, you feel me. Every damn time. So what's on under the kilt? Stop asking me that. Thanks, Sam. Okay, I've got one here. Um, so, uh, David Ian, I need sort of uh, automotive sounds. And uh, Faces for Radio Theater, I would like uh, bickery road trip family sounds. I told you, you can't make that noise in my head. If you get any closer to me, you're going to catch whatever it is you have that makes you look like that. So weird keep it going, keep it going. I don't want to have zits. Turn right in five yards. Where? Damn bloody GPS. Recalculating. Thank you, Lindy Pearson. And now our audience member, Carrie. Thank you. Um, Ralph, can I get horror movie? Or scary? Oh, and, yeah. and maybe like campfire. <laughs> All right. Happiness be gone. I like things that make me mad. Then I smash a fly. Well done. All on the audience haiku. You're listening to Livewire Radio, radio variety for the ADD generation. We'll be right back. promised the man who has been writing in our audience all night long while we've been playing on stage. To sum it all up for us, please welcome poet Scott Poole. What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. <laughs> I've learned tonight that everyone in Portland has a beard. <laughs> Even the women. They're just better at concealing it. It's usually the kind of thing you only see in a deeply religious community, and Portland is pretty much the exact opposite of that. Curious. I don't mean we're anti-religious necessarily, I just haven't seen that many Taliban riding around on double-decker bicycles wearing a trucker hat that says world's greatest sister on it. <laughs> I think we're just into handiness. It's amazing what you can carry in a beard. You can hide a pencil or some fennel, a stuffed hummingbird, or even a burning pop pipe. And that can be amazingly handy when you're trying to signal left at a falafel burger food cart when your chain comes off. <laughs> if you're really rocking a chin waterfall, you can even hide your friend's smoking pot. I really want to get to know somebody with a beard like that. Remember walking through those beaded curtains? Remember how good that felt in the 70s? <laughs> Just think of hiding behind a beard with beads on it. 
like how you felt behind a clothes rack when you were six. And then when you were good and ready, you could emerge with a grand entrance and say, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not gonna shave it anymore. I wanna be a friendly blind pilot. Poke my eyes out and strap some congas to me and take my long beard and starch it so I can use it as a walking cane so I can really get into the music as I thump down the street. In fact, starch it into two canes, one thumping the street and one thumping the congas and me drinking, dragging a 1928 biplane behind me with a velvet rope and I just want to bump into everyone so I can finally feel that awkward connection. But when you have a beard, people don't mind you bumping into them. It's like a thousand soft, white birds settling into the Himalayas, the only thing you could see from a plane when you're stuck on the ground, your beard blowing behind you in the wind. Thank you. Scott Poole. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Blind Pilot. So I left while you were sleeping That's all it took And I chopped a line Sat down the coast Going where my thirst was open For the things that I don't know Going where I wasn't paying For the hurt that I to our guests tonight, Anis Mojgani, Adam Klugman, and Blind Pilot. The Mutton Chops are Ralph Huntley, Dave Jorgensen, and Jim Brunberg. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, and Dave's Killer Bread. 
Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, and listeners like you find people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. The Faces for Radio Theater are writers Sean McGrath and Courtney Hommeister, performers Darius Pierce, Paul Glazier, and Trisha Ferguson, with sound effects by David Ian. Additional show writers are Jason Rouse, house poet Scott Poole, and Ben Coleman. Faces for Radio Theater was directed by Phil and Corvaya. Our recording engineer is Jonathan Newsom. House sound by Graham Nystrom. Stage management by Matt King, with thanks to Rose City Sound. Show theme by Courtney Vondrele and Ralph Huntley. Livewire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit livewireradio.org. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait. Actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.